0: Greetings, you're listening to Cantus Formus at the Movies. We're talking about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, the 2004 film directed by Michel Gondry and written by Charlie Kaufman. And I have here with me Latifa Alitas, who is a and musical you. artist, writer, <laughs> producer, and engineer. Uh, and she's been involved in a lot of different projects, but uh, Moda Spira and Paige CXVI. I've always said CXVI. Should I actually spell the, 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 the number? Nope.
1: I say CXVI, so you're doing great.
0: Okay, and and page CXVI is, is kind of a nod name, but the the idea behind that was that the, the band was named after uh, a page in uh, your your edition of um, uh, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. The um, what was the
1: first? Magician's nephew. Magician's yeah. nephew. Yeah. Okay,
0: and it has to do with the one the page where um, uh, Aslan speaks Narnia yes. into existence. Is that right? Or yes. sings yeah, Narnia he,
1: into existence. He sings it. Yeah, which I love the idea of. God using melody to kind of call creation into being. I thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah. And so yeah. can you tell me a little bit about some, some of the musical projects that you've been involved in? Because you sort of came on, on my radar a few years ago and I was really, I mean, especially love the CXVI stuff because yeah. of um, my interest in, in hymns, but the way it was kind of updated was really cool. And um,
1: yeah.
0: I'm, I'm, I haven't been shy about my not being a very big fan of a lot of contemporary worship music. So I really love yeah. what you guys were doing.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I, originally I was a solo artist under the moniker Tifa, which is kind of a nickname I have. And then that kind of converted into a band called The Autumn Film. And then The Autumn Film existed for many years. And then Page Xvi started as um, three of us from The Autumn Film. And we kind of just had two different bands with different trajectories. It was all the same musicians. And then about, oh goodness, seven or eight years ago now, um, the guys kind of uh, stepped away from actively being in the band and um, I kind of let Autumn Film die and started Moda Spira for kind of my personal writing and storytelling as a songwriter and then just started touring and, and doing stuff for Paige on my own. And then I actually have a new Page Six Guy record that I'm getting mixed at the end of March that will be coming out hopefully by the end of spring.
0: Is it just sort of an additional volume, or is it like one of the thematic um, albums? Or
1: you know, it's it's just going to be a new record. I I have written a ton of original content for it. I have um, two hymns on it that are repurposed, but the rest are original. And uh-huh. I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about it. It's still in the same kind of um, space as the other records, but um, I haven't put out a page record in almost seven years, so. Yeah. It feels really exciting to have something new come out. And now Pay 6 VI is actually just me. Um, I have uh, a bunch of players playing on the record with me, a ton of strings. Um, but uh, it is now officially a band of one.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Well, you said it yeah. was just you. I imagine maybe like Prince where he goes in and records all the instruments.
1: <laughs> no, did, I wish actually. I was that talented. Yeah. <laughs>
0: all right. Awesome. I'm really excited to get that record. If people did want to uh, uh, check out some of your stuff, what, where would they go to do that?
1: So um, I'm on all audio platforms online, so Spotify, Apple Music, um, but uh, you could also go to modaspira.com, that's M-O-D-A-S-P-I-R-A, for my personal songwriting stuff, and then page CXVI, which is 116 in Roman numerals for everybody that's wondering. Um, It's literally page, P-A-G-E, C-X-V-I.com, or you can just look up either of those monikers anywhere you like to listen to music. Wonderful, Awesome.
0: Okay, so now the film uh, *Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind*. This film came out, uh, I think, when I was in high school, and okay. it was, I think, the perfect time to watch this film. Probably um, being, you know, being in high school. Which, I, 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 how old were you when this came out?
1: I had I graduated in, from college in two thousand four. Okay, so I was 21, 22 when the film came out. Still pretty
0: good time. So I, I guess I was eighteen. So yeah. Uh, what was it about this film that I guess really spoke to you? And and when I you know. Talk to you about doing this uh, this podcast. This was, uh, I think, one of the first ones that you'd mentioned is one, one you'd be interested in doing. So what was the significance, uh, remaining significance of it for you?
1: Yeah, I have loved this film since it came out. Um, it has always been kind of one of my benchmark films um, for many reasons. One, I love how Michelle Gondry uh, directs things. It feels, like, otherworldly. It feels, like, rooted in reality, but like mystical and dreamlike at the same time. Um, and I, I remember being really wooed by the music, by the score. And um, this is the first time I remember being exposed to John Bryan, who did the score for this film. He also did Ladybird. It's like a more recent film if people uh, mm-hmm. have seen that, which is also a great film. But John Bryan is, is maybe one of my favorite film scores ever. Um, Hans Zimmer obviously is a classic, but There's something um, really human about the way he scores his films. And um, I remember instinctively loving how the music really emoted the moment that was happening in, in the movie. And at the time, so when I first saw this, I was very much in love with my first boyfriend. His name was Aaron. And I remember thinking, like, this is awesome. It's about how these two people are, like, cosmically drawn to each other, even though it's sort of tragic. But look at him try again. And isn't this beautiful? And then when my first boyfriend and I inevitably broke up, as most first boyfriend and first girlfriends do, it um, was really interesting is that my, my ex-boyfriend actually looked really similar to the way Jim Carrey looks in the film. Kind of like mm-hmm. that tall, lanky, kind of shaggy brown hair, big brown eyes kind of thing. And I remember after we broke up, it was about oh, a year or so after we had gotten out of college. I remember watching this film on repeat and just bawling my eyes out. <laughs> And it was, you know, I had a new lens to look at the film with. And, you know, as I've watched it, I probably watch it about once every year or two since Mm -hmm. then, just because I think it's so interesting and compelling. Um, And obviously I I got married and then I have been divorced now for over a year. And the film just continues to speak to me in new and different ways. I think Mm -hmm. that Charlie Kaufman wrote, a nearly perfect script, is what I feel like. Um, But yeah, man, I mean, what were your feelings when you first watched it? Gosh,
0: it's been so long. You know, I I guess what's interesting to me is um, what one could get out of it, depending on where one is because I, I think at the time there were a lot of people who were interested in it who I think saw themselves as you know uh, very kind of emotionally deep artistic types and and maybe weren't necessarily maybe they were just emotionally uh, um, <laughs> damaged in some way um, but but that's not I mean that's not like really the only way to watch the film though because I mean i I think I probably was a little bit that way when I first saw it. And so there may have yeah. been, that was maybe how I saw it a little bit, you know, um, yeah. the, the love that's so deep or whatever. And, but, you know, watching it now, um, I, I kind of looked at the characters and thought they probably shouldn't be in this relationship. Yeah. And, <laughs> um. And so I don't, I don't know how much of that is, you know, uh, you know, a- a- age or, or, or just becoming um, a little more cynical. We'll, we'll get into the, the plot in a little bit, but this whole sort of, uh, this thing of, of whether or not they're going to keep repeating this cycle like this sort of yeah. Sisyphus sort of you know rolling the the rock up the hill and right. and and the film ends so optimistically and it's hard not to be drawn into this whole thing of you know them willing to be going to kind of go through this whole process again because right. of, of how they feel about each other but there's right. also a part of you that goes no don't yeah, um, <laughs> work out your issues at least first before you try this yeah. again yeah. um so yeah but but I, i'd like to you know, maybe kind of work through and, um, all those things as we sort of talk about the film a little bit more. But yeah, yeah the, 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 the style, though, the kind of um, fantasy rooted in, in reality thing, um, I think you're right. It, it, it brought to mind um, a film that I saw a few years ago. Um, it was a German film by a Fassbinder called World on a Wire that I think kind of predated The Matrix, and, and The Matrix I think maybe stole some of its uh, uh, themes and, and visual cues. Um, But it's the same sort of thing where everything, you know, feels kind of, you know, real and almost drab. But there's also this sort of strange fantasy world that's happening within this drab kind of scenario. Uh, And that's what this sort of feels like, because they're doing this, what seems like it would be this, you know, hugely um, advanced kind of process of wiping parts of your memory away. But yeah. in in this process, they're recording cassette tapes of, of like <laughs> that's part of the process of like finding your memories as you record this cassette yeah. tape, and you're like, so there, there's a part of it that feels like okay, this this doesn't seem quite realistic because you'd, you'd have to imagine this is happening in some world far away where they've they've worked this whole thing out, but it, it you know it's not it's rooted in this moment that they're making the film. Yeah. Um, you sort of accept the fantasy aspect because it does feel sort of grounded in a way. Yeah but but the basic idea of the film I'm going to give kind of a brief product, plot outline and we'll go into all the spoilers so if you haven't seen it you should before you listen um is that uh, so this Joel Barish character played by Jim Carrey he's this mm-hmm. uh, shy sort of a nebbish kind of guy and then in contrast Clementine is this free spirit uh the the uh, I think the trope that gets discussed is the manic pixie dream girl kind mm-hmm. of character and they they meet on a train from Montauk uh, and quickly take up a relationship but what they don't realize is that they've actually dated before for two years, but had wiped each other from their memories. Uh, and they used this company called Lacuna uh, to do so after uh, uh, kind of a bad uh, breakup. Although it yeah. seems to have been one that he thought they were going to rebound from. But her, right. her, she's just kind of extreme person who they have a bad fight and then she decides to go wipe him completely from her mind. So Jim Carrey the Joel Bearish character. Uh, the Clementine character is played by Kate Winslet. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, who I think was pretty much on the map at this point, uh, yeah. plays, plays the receptionist for Lacuna named Mary and, uh, a fairly young Mark Ruffalo and Elijah Wood yeah. are these two technicians. Yeah. Um, so they, they factor in pretty significantly as well. What, what's really going to come out in this film are, I think, different themes of, uh, I think particularly this, this idea of grief and how we cope with it, which, you know, I for me is you know, significant because, I mean, like all humans, I, I've, I've, you know, had relationships and I've had loss and um, I've also, I've also been divorced. But, you know, as you watch the film, you, you sort of feel, I think you, you mourn a little bit with, uh, with Jim Carrey's character, this, this death of this relationship, because mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways a serious relationship ending does feel like a death. I mean, I, I know with, with me, um, you know, even I guess before the divorce when I just kind of, knew that it was going that way, um, I just kind of remember walking around feeling like I was in a daze. It was like almost hard to believe, you know, that this thing that was so significant in my life is is going away. And yeah. that is like a death, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think we've all wondered, would we have rather, could we go back and if we could go back, would we not do it? Or if it were possible to wipe that person from our brain, would we do that? Yeah. And so this film takes that experiment, that thought experiment, seriously, and 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 does it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I, I kind of wondered, you know, maybe what what you thought about this this whole idea of, you know, would would that be something that would be worth doing if you could do it to to wipe to wipe that experience from your
1: brain? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah. yeah, I um I don't think I'd wipe my first boyfriend, Aaron. Hmm. He was we were best friends. We had a lot of fun. I remember we laughed a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he's, we, we broke up. It was, it was the right thing. And he married a girl. I think they are still married. I don't really keep up. We don't stay really in touch, but, um, and it's been a long time now since that relationship ended. Um, and then as far as my ex-husband, so I was asking myself the question, you know, would I erase this relationship from my mind? And, you know, at the risk of sounding too honest, um, I think I would choose to not have had that relationship mm. and not because, you know, my ex husband's some monster or whatever. Um, there are hard realities when you're divorcing. There's hard realities that lead to divorce. Um, I think for me, the difference when I think about like the end of my marriage versus like the end of my first, my first relationship, I really only have had two significant like loves in that way. Um, is that, you know, obviously, there's a time investment that's much longer in my second mm. one. Mm-hmm. We were together, um, basically dated and married for about 12 years and married for almost nine. And um, I just don't know, honestly, if the cost of how it all ended and uh, where I am in my life now is worth the, the benefit, like the good parts of the relationship. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't all bad. That's that's for sure, and most relationships start really well, which is why you get involved in the first place. Um, there's attraction and romance, and like you know all the things, um, and there are good memories. Like when you're watching Joel Barish, kind of like navigate down like the um, kind of the maze of his memories um, to like what I love about the film is it ends with the very it kind of goes sequentially backwards, right? It Ends with like his very first memory of meeting her. Cause they're kind of chasing down the memories to erase them. And they start with the most current. Um, And you see like, it starts out hard and you're kind of watching it and you're like, Oh man, I totally get why these people broken up. They're kind of like, all I do is fight. And they seem to have contempt for each other and like all these things. And then as you start to get to the middle part of the relationship where there's just a lot of intimacy because they've already had like some time spent. And then you get to the beginning of the relationship, which is exciting and fun and interesting. You kind of understand why they ended up together um but as I've been doing that like with myself is like like any people or like anybody would do you sort of roll a deck through your memories when something ends. Um I don't know, man. I mean, I think the truth is I don't I I learned a lot from my marriage. I learned things from my ex-husband that were of value. I don't want to say that didn't happen. Um I'm not sure right now and maybe it's that I'm too close to ground zero still. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it was worth the pain. Yeah. And, and that's just, that's just, I just want to be truthful about it. I think like the, that what people want to hear is that like, Oh no, like no matter what, it was worth it. I learned a lot. It made me a part of who I am. Um, I just don't know if I feel the way right now.
0: <laughs> no, no, that, that makes sense. I get it.
1: What about you?
0: Um, I feel like for me, there's a large part in which, um, I have put that away somewhere else in my brain and there is something about that. That's kind of sad because I, you know, if I think about it, I I can maybe stir those memories up and every so often I'll have a little piece of one that comes up, but there's so much that I don't remember at all. And and, and I think it's, you know, maybe because of my, my, you know, the way I am or I'm just kind of a forgetful person, but I don't think that's entirely it. I, I feel like I've, I've kind of subconsciously, put a lot of that stuff away and yeah. there is something about even that, that I find sort of tragic that there's so much yeah. um, of my life that I, I don't really have access to, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I, I do, but I don't, you know, on my day to day, it feels like I'm, I'm kind of living in this moment and you know, the things that maybe happened after uh, the divorce I can access pretty well, but all that sort of stuff those years we were together, I don't have uh, as clear access to and um, I think sometimes maybe that's something you have to do to move forward yeah um, but yeah I, I, and, and I think about um, something a, a counseling professor I had uh, dr. Andrew Graham who, who I'd had on the podcast a few episodes ago and um, we were talking uh, in class about the, the kind of the trigger warning kind of movement that's that's kind of come up And he'd said that ultimately the goal of counseling was the opposite, um, that you're not trying to remove triggers that spark anxiety, but you're trying to reframe what happened to you in a different way, to see it from a new perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, for Christians in particular, um, that often means that we see our tragedies in in a new light, the sort of light of God who can redeem anything uh, according to his purposes. And that's still true, although it would you know, there's this kind of life affirming thing that everything that happens to you is worthwhile, but I, I don't know that I believe that entirely either. I mean, I, we, we, uh,
1: I can't buy into that. I think yeah. that's really problematic theologically and interpersonally. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh yeah, I agree. Well, and, and I yeah. think it's, it, it, I think it encourages bad decision making too. Cause cause I think at the end of the day, we do want to say, you know, Hey, we want, you know, this is good if I've learned from it, or this is good if I've, if I can get something good out of it. Um, yeah. But the, maybe the decision itself wasn't the right one. And, and maybe in future I should make better decisions and encourage other people to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if we all thought like that, this movie wouldn't have been made because it's yeah. about a relationship that probably shouldn't have happened if, yeah. if, if they were making good decisions. Because ultimately what attracts him to her is kind of her unhinged, um, you know, uh, approach to life where she just sort of does what she wants to do in the moment. And that can be very attractive, of course, yeah. but it's also probably not a good grounds for building a serious long term relationship on. And yeah. there is this whole question that's unclear in the film of whether like she's cheating on him because he seems to think she is and but it's never, I guess, confirmed legitimately, but it makes yeah. sense a little bit for her character that she yeah. would be. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so Yeah, it's so it's it's you know the ending is sweet in a way because they're willing to, to they care about each other enough that they're willing to to, to venture back right. into it and give it a try despite the pain and there's some value in that right I mean that's that's you know that's any relationship
1: um, yeah there's some there is something whimsical about like the heart wants what the heart wants and like there is something whimsical about and that I think in in healthy people mm-hmm. opposites attracting can actually be incredibly beneficial mm-hmm. to the formation of of who you are, but if you have like two people that are deeply unhealthy, kind of in essence, using each other to not feel how they want to feel, you know what I mean? Like, I think that that's where it can get kind of problematic. So it's like on one hand, I love the idea of um, there are just certain people you are attracted to no matter what. And, and the idea that you will be coming together to have whatever kind of course, a relationship that you should have there's something comforting in that at the same time like you could kind of poke holes in it because it's like i don't really believe there's one person for everyone because if one person gets if one person chooses the wrong person the whole system gets off cake. you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. then everybody's screwed um so i don't necessarily believe that either i think there's so many different people that you could be good matches with that would be like beneficial to grow with and learn from and then I think there are a lot of people, honestly, that we maybe are attracted to because we're trying to work out wounded or broken narratives from our past. Mm. And so we're kind of like find somebody subconsciously, emotionally, that we can kind of rework that narrative that's like has the same dysfunction. And we're like trying to, in essence, sort of see if we can play it out and get a better ending or a better result. And yeah. I, I don't, it's, I think like the nuance, of, if, if, if it ends up being good or bad. Is so dependent on if both people are pursuing health and honesty, you yeah. know? And it's really actually hard to find people that are doing that. Like sincerely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it, That's why this film is so interesting is because like, it's it's a no brainer. They're attracted to each other. It's a no brainer that like, they love to spend time together. But like, my question is like, well, you know, they sort of touch on his relationship with his mom. You know what I mean? Like, She kind of seems like she loves to hang out with friends. She's like, I think smoking a cigarette in that scene where he's under the table, Mm -hmm. you know, and like Clementine or Kate Winslet, you know, is wearing this like fabulous 60s dress and she's got her red, orange hair and and those big kind of go-go boots. And she's like trying to comfort him under the table. And what's really clear is that like all he wants is for his mom to pick him up and give him attention. But she's like kind of too busy talking to her friends and living her life and all those things. Mm. And so like the idea that like um, he would like look for somebody that would like um he'd have to fight to keep her attention right like one of her big complaints about him is that he's boring Mm -hmm. you know which means he doesn't keep her attention Mm. like maybe he's reworking that same narrative of i I can't keep my mom's attention maybe i can try to keep this person's attention i mean it's just sort of the nuance of that i don't know if charlie Kaufman intended for that but Mm. i think that's sort of interesting yeah. yeah, that is interesting.
0: Well, yeah, and it kind of brings to mind, you know, sort of these these Freudian tropes of, uh, you know, yeah. the, the mother yeah. and child relationship or father and child relationship, yeah. and seeing his looking at his mom, yeah, yeah, looking at his mom's legs from under a table or something. I don't know, yeah.
1: something, yeah, some yeah. weird.
0: I don't know what Freud would make of that, but um, <laughs> yeah, but that is, that is an interesting thing. I didn't really think about how that was factoring into kind of who he was, but that does make a lot of sense that who you are at that young age has an impact. Cause it is hard to kind of work out his psychology because he is more introverted, but uh, I I almost want to watch this again and and sort of look at the flashbacks and try to piece together who he is from that.
1: Yeah. Like that scene too, where he's like, he doesn't want to kill that bird with a hammer and he's Mm -hmm. like surrounded by like those little boys who are his peers at the time, you know, and they're like, do it, do it. And like, you realize that he's somebody who succumbs to pressure. Like a lot of people do, especially peer pressure. Um, but he'll, he'll do things he doesn't want to do based on the pressure pressure from an outside person. Mm-hmm. So it's also interesting that he chooses a female who's like pretty dominant and like puts a lot of pressure on him. Like even when they first show the first scenes of the movie where they're meeting and she's like, I want you to stay. Stay. We're going to get married. I want you to call me. Like she just, just like pushes yeah. and pushes until he does the things that she wants. Like he's repeating that pattern. Yeah. You know. And well. So- it-
0: Yeah, Yeah. and he he says something, too, like, in his head or and he's writing in his journal that he almost, like, these, like, you know, why do I fall in love with anybody who smiles at me or something like that? Yeah, exactly. So, so you know that he, like, likes her a lot, but he doesn't, like, he's not at all receptive to, like, her trying to get close to him or talk to him. So, (laughs) it's like, well, what's going on with you, dude? But, yeah, she kind of forces her way in on that. Yeah. Um, And I think the thing you said about reworking um, kind of traumas from our past and our relationships. uh, Yeah it does make a lot of sense in this film because essentially they decide that's what they're going to do again.
1: (laughs) Over and over and over.
0: Yeah. There is this, uh, I think, question that I think we can work through, which is what is, you know, what are romantic relationships or what are marriage or what is love really supposed to look like? And I think we've scratched the surface a little bit, but um, you know, I think one thing that we've kind of hinted at is this, this idea that there should be wisdom involved in this and not just, uh, this feeling of attraction, I think we've sort of um, made that sacrosanct that, you know, if you're attracted to this person, that's who you should be with. And
1: yeah.
0: uh, we see it in films a lot. And, you know, I think about, uh, you know, especially like uh, a lot of Hollywood films, or like Woody Allen films, which I kind of grew up watching a lot of, but they're always about yeah. um, somebody who's in a relationship with somebody and they're getting bored with it. And then <laughs> they decide to go after something that seems a little more exciting. Yeah. Uh, and, and that that somehow is a justification in and of itself. Right. But we, we do, we make excuses when uh, something else yeah. comes along that seems for the moment more exciting.
1: Yeah, uh, we sure do.
0: <laughs> so we repeat those patterns.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, yeah. I think some people, for whatever reason, succumb to that, and some people don't, mm. you know? And maybe it's a question of loyalty or, or pride or selfishness or honesty. Or I mean, there's so many different ways to look at it. Um, but I do think anything long, long long-term that has longevity, like romantically has to weather those storms of when people kind of get bored or tired and, Mm -hmm. and discouraged and then have to like renew and fight for like rekindling a flame. You know, I, I I know a lot of people who are married. Um, and if I'm being super frank, I, I think I know Probably a couple, maybe three, definitely two I can think of now that are still as much in love today as they were when they first met. Mm. And most couples I know, even like the really healthy, cool marriages, I think they've had seasons where they've had to like work really hard, you know, and then there's, I, there's a few people I know that are married that I think you should maybe not be married. You know, you're Mm. bringing out the worst in each other and it's not getting better and it Mm. keeps happening, you know, and And, and, and that's just the truth. Um, I I believe in marriage. I think it's a beautiful commitment and I think it's something that stretches us and pushes us. And if people are like soberly and consensually like choosing it in their right mind and have good support, like, why not? You know what I mean? But I also, I mean, even just statistically like relationships end, you know? a lot of them do. And as to why and how we do it, maybe that's what matters, you know? Um, but yeah, I think that like the, the cosmic meant for each other thing, or even just the cosmic, I need to keep working out this narrative until I get the answer or the result that I want. Um, it's just part of like the human plight of being on earth, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, with with that whole thing about needing to make it work, um, it, or having that desire that, you know, I have to be able, you know, wanting to make it work. You know, I'm, I'm going to go at it knowing that it's going to be work and that I'm going to have to do that if I yeah. want this to work. Um, yeah. I think you have to sort of set out saying this is a value enough to me that I'm going to do that. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't also hurt to uh, choose to be with somebody who um, you're, 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 you're more likely to be able to work things out with <laughs> and, as, as opposed to just, yeah, somebody that you're yeah. attracted to and that's it.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, lucky is the person that gets both those things checked off. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's the ideal marriage. You actually like the person and they, they're as committed to it as you are.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's a constant negotiation, constant conversation, constant, like, um, commitment. You know? Yeah. It's something, it can't be stagnant. It has to continually be renewed and refreshed.
0: Well, and, and um, so, kind of getting back to this whole, you know, would you erase it or would you not do it thing, There there is this aspect of the film about event shaping um who we are and what's interesting to me is that they wipe each other from their memories but they almost seem to be going around with this like sort of hole that's there where it's like everything that's kind of been built on you know this relationship and who they are and who they've changed as people they're still the same people they were before they went in there it's just now they don't seem to know why
1: (laughs) yeah that's really interesting isn't it yeah yeah That, like, the emotional result is still there, but they have no idea what the cause is. I didn't think about that. That's kind of fascinating. Huh. Yeah. Well, in that case, yeah, man, if I could have the benefit of the emotional wisdom from what I've learned Mm -hmm. and not have the trauma of the memories, then I definitely would erase it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, but, 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 but I guess the question is, is the trauma gone? because the memory may be gone, but is the trauma still there? Is there still this sort of mark on them because of what they've experienced? It's just, I don't know. It's It, it, it sort of feels like, you know, sometimes when you have a, a terrible memory that you suppress, but you sort of go on as if you do remember it, like you're still, you know, afraid of people or afraid of circumstances right. that bring that, you know, right. that, are, that are similar. Um, but yeah, that does, I mean, especially with the way he reacts to her, because when yeah. they showed, when they first meet, it's different than when they meet again for the first time. He seems a lot more wary of her, even though he is not really supposed to remember her.
1: That's interesting. Well, I actually, you know, I I really believe and a lot of people do that. We carry trauma inside our body, Mm -hmm. like inside our organs and muscles and the, like the tissues that create our form um, as well as our like memories, like our emotional and intellectual memories, you know? I mean, I've done a ton of body work in the last year that's been so healing and so helpful for me. And it's made me like realize how much stuff I actually carry in my body. Like when I'm like, you know, there's like one spot in my shoulder and one spot in my hip that I think I like carry some of my pain in, you know, Mm. whenever like I'm rolling it out on a foam roller, like I feel like really emotional for some reason. I just have to like, let it go. But if I'm doing it on the other side, I feel fine, Mm. you know, and And so I just, you know, it's one of the things I'm asking God about and talking through and like my strategy now has been as I'm like rolling out those places, like I just kind of say what I'm feeling to kind of release it, you know? And so, yeah, I think that there is something to be said for like, you can't, I don't think you can really, I mean, this is all like a mythological question anyways, but if it was possible, like, could we actually erase it all? Probably not. Cause I think we carry memories in other places just besides our brains.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Were were you, um, like me, um, I I wonder how you felt like, you know, watching the film, when you watch a film and you're you're experiencing the emotions vicariously that Mm -hmm. that the characters are feeling, did you feel a greater sense of loss for Joel as he's experiencing the end of the relationship or as he's experiencing her disappearing from his memories? Because I sort of feel like the emotional weight of the film is that loss of memory as opposed to the loss of the relationship.
1: Yeah, I, uh, if I'm being honest, my response is more to the losing of the memories, especially like that last one where they're in the house or second to last one, they're at the house on the beach where she mm-hmm. like breaks in and okay. she's looking for alcohol and she wants him to stay, but he's too in- anxious to stay. Mm-hmm. So he leaves and he says, I wish I didn't, I hadn't have left. And she says, Well, let's at least make up a goodbye, you know? And he, he's buried like, like, um, uh, what is it? Waist deep in sand, which is sort of interesting, like metaphor for like being stuck, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, that's one of the saddest parts of the film for me that, and then the memory of when they're in the bookstore and she kind of gives him his speech. Like, you know, I'm just like, a, I'm looking for my own peace of mind. Like I, you know, I you just got to let me be who I am. If you're going to be with me, you got to be with me. And he was like, ah, I remember that speech so well. and, and, they kind of have this dialogue about that moment of their relationship, you know, and both those two spots in the film and the way John Bryan scores it right then is so brilliant because it feels like a memory. It feels sad. It feels whimsical. It feels romantic. Um, but you like hear sadness and loss in, in, in the score. And those are the, those are the two spots where I feel the most sad in the film. You know, there's places where I feel disturbed um, but that's where I feel the most sad
0: yeah. and,
1: and those are about losing like the two, a memory where he wished he had done something different. Mm. Cause I think we all have that. And then a memory that was kind of like beautiful and sweet and like ignited something, you know? Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's making me think of all my memories with my ex-husband that like, would I choose to erase that? It's just such an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And it's a tough question too, because I I think some people probably go into it with a very clear feeling about it, but Mm. it is, it is actually, I don't know. I I, I think I would, maybe the unhealthy thing I've done of locking it away is is working well enough for me that I don't feel like I need to actually physically erase it. But, um, (laughs) but I think too, I I have this um, kind of professorial brain, I think a little bit where I have a Mm. tendency to forget things that I'm like in the moment. And sometimes that's very frustrating because I, I have a tendency to forget things that actually would be kind of important to me. Mm. And there's something scary about that, especially as, as you think about maybe the possibility of getting older and memory slipping and how frustrating Absolutely. that is. And yeah. I mean, how scary it is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, on one hand, it's like one of most people's greatest fears would be like dementia or Alzheimer's where it's like your body's there, but your memories are kind of gone, mm-hmm. you know? So you don't, you know, without memories, we don't really have a frame of reference for who we are. Yeah. Right. And so like, yeah, it's interesting. I think it also is kind of interesting. I think that the question like, would you erase can only really be answered by people who have had painful breakups. Yeah. Like, because if you haven't had painful breakups for either that you've only had one that's been successful or you've had none, or maybe you've had breakups and they've all been really amicable and positive. Um, it, the question isn't as meaningful because you're not weighing the same amount of trauma or risk, you know? And so, you know, whether she's just reactive and extreme is one question, but the truth is they both did it and they probably both did it because there was a tremendous amount of pain and frustration, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but ah, it's such a good movie, man. I'm so glad this is the one we did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so and I had another thought as we're kind of talking, which is um, there's definitely these questions of what's really happening because they sort of have their own perspectives and you don't always get to it. But I don't I don't ever remember seeing a memory that felt like it was maybe um, just how that character was remembering it, because the thing about memory is it's not necessarily like a film camera. You know, you don't right the way you remember it isn't necessarily how it happened. And I have to tell myself that yeah. all the time when I think about embarrassing things I did when I was eight that I still haven't forgotten is that it didn't happen quite how I remembered it. It wasn't, you know, was, nobody yeah. else probably remembers me, you know, making a fool of myself or whatever. Exactly. Um, and, but that, that is an interesting thing in the film is because the memories that are there, I think for the most part are presented um, kind of prima facie. Like this is just the way it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been interesting maybe to sort of see how the you know uh, they might have looked at those memories differently, or ha- if they had experienced those memories differently
1: totally, the one thing I do love though, that like Michelle Gondry does really well is like that scene in the bookstore that I was talking about, where she's mm. giving her speech as she like disappears, all of a sudden all the books are white, like you no longer see titles mm. you know, and I think about like how we remember things, we don't necessarily remember like like we remember color washes, or we remember how we felt, or remember what it smelled like. But the the what I like about like what Michelle Gondry does is there's a lot of like disappearing of detail, mm-hmm. like that as she disappears, which I think is kind of fascinating because I think that's more of how we remember. And then there are a few moments where it feels like the perspective is from Joel Barish's eyes mm. versus like just an overhead looking camera. And I mean, if we, if we did the whole movie like that, it would be really fatiguing, right? It'd be like Cloverfield all over again, and I'd hate it. But like, I feel like um, the, I, I get what you're saying, like, how we remember isn't always accurate. It's like you have your memories, the other person has their memories, and then there's the actual truth of like, what happens, you know? And, mm-hmm. But maybe it's more about what we remember than what actually happened, because it's what we remember that really shapes us. Yeah, you know? it's, it's how it
0: impacted us, not actually necessarily yeah. what happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: and and then that brings me back to that kind of point I made earlier, which is if, um, you know, you know, therapy or counseling or whatever, the goal of that is to recontextualize what happened to us. I mean, maybe keeping in mind the fact that, um, the way our brain records, it isn't necessarily exactly what happened, but it's, it's whatever was significant for us.
1: I wonder if that gives
0: us more permission to reframe trauma and negative events, knowing that, you know, it's not like we're, we're, we're necessarily um, being less honest with ourselves because we're putting yeah. it in this new context or, or new perspective, yeah. you know, it's just, we're just doing what we do automatically, but we're doing it deliberately.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's not just emotional survival. It's like um, emotional strategy.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That yeah. makes sense.
0: I like that. Which, which, and I think that that maybe just go back to this also, that can, I think ties in with this theme of, um, being deliberate about the choices we make in our relationships as well. I, I think we have this tendency to feel like it's artificial or fake if we do anything, but let the heart lead us and sort of do dramatic spontaneous things. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think that that's true.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And like, just like acknowledging too, that like a, just like straight attraction, like chemical attraction mm-hmm. is a bit of a spectrum, you know, like I have, I know maybe one or two men I've met in my whole life and I meet lots of different men. Um, where I have just had that kind of undeniable chemical response where you're like, I have no idea why I am so enthralled with this human being that's in the same room with me, but like, I know their presence in the room if I could, and it wasn't weird, I would just stare at them the whole time, you know, like mm-hmm. all that stuff. And then there's men I've met who have been like, Oh, they're doing attract the person. I like them. I want to get to know them. Maybe we're just meant to be friends, but something about them I feel, I feel like I'm gravitating towards. And then there's people I feel indifferent about and maybe we still become friends. And then there's people that I'm like, you're just not for me, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think sometimes like, um, we think that the only relationships worth having are those like intense chemical attraction relationships. But I think most relationships with good people can be developed into something beautiful, whether it be friendship to romance. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that there's something for us in, in the different kind of relationships we have, you know? And, um, I'm, I mean, I'm so grateful for the friends I've had in my life and have now, um, because they've been such a consistent source of goodness for me. Um, and now that the w- one relationship that I thought was going to be permanent is no longer permanent. Um, my friendships have become, um, even more of like a foundational element in my life. I realize, you know, that maybe it's, my, it's, I mean, already just on the basis of my age, there are friends that I will always have longer, you know, and have been around longer. And I think that one thing is sort of interesting in the film that isn't addressed a lot are like, you know, who are their friends? You know, you kind of meet Joel Barish's friends at the beginning who took him to the picnic where he meets come time for the first, 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 first time. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's that scene where he's talking with them and they don't know how to like, tell him that they got this letter that she erased him from his brain. And that's how he learns about lacuna and like, um, they seem like pretty okay friends, but like you just kind of learn like, um, they don't, they seem sort of isolated, you know, like in their relationship. And even like Mary who she's the reason she blows the lid off the operation is because she's been in love with Howard. Isn't that his name? That the Mm -hmm. doctor, that's right. Yeah, Um, and, and, and she keeps doing it. She keeps erasing her memory. And, like, part of me is, like, man, if these people all had better friends, like, maybe they'd be doing okay. Maybe they could cope and process better, you yeah. know? Um, so that's I was, like, that's another thought I'd have when I watched the film. Like, I was, like, my friends would never let me go do this procedure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, the risk is too high. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing to think, too. Like, what is it about community that helps us grieve mm. um, in a way um, versus, like, doing it in isolation, you know? And
0: I, th- and I think sometimes good friends will also steer you away from bad relationships <laughs> as well if you let them.
1: We, we try. Sometimes we fail. But we definitely try. The good ones try. <laughs> so. Um,
0: and so th- 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 um, there's kind of a B-plot that I think we ought to discuss at least for a couple minutes, which is the um, – is it, is it, uh, let's see. Let me make sure I get the name right. Uh, Patrick, Elijah Wood's character. So yeah. he's a technician at Lacuna. And he, you know, is attracted to Clementine and uses her memories, um, yeah. and specifically, like, journals and things she's left behind, um, yeah. to, like, try to take advantage of her, start relationship. I don't yeah. know that he would say so... he was taking advantage, but, yeah, that's what he's doing.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and he tries to, like, sort of take memory. So she'll write about something that Joel did that was very meaningful to her, very romantic. And he mm-hmm. just steals it and tries to do it to her, you know? And so... I think particularly in, in this kind of era we're in of you know Me Too and, and uh, this discussion about what consent really means, where I think there was maybe a very simple definition that we'd had that we're starting to maybe yeah. question whether it's sufficient. Yeah, um, yeah so you know m- m- maybe to, to put it very straightforwardly, um, if if there's not really legitimate informed consent and he's taking advantage of, of this, is that is this like a form of rape ultimately?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, one, we don't know if they slept together. Maybe they have. Um, But I think either way, he is leveraging um, power that she doesn't realize that he has Mm -hmm. to coax her into uh, some sort of sexual relationship with her. You know what I mean? Or with him. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, his strategy is is pretty awful, in my opinion. Like, he's using... Um her memories and what what's interesting is like he said he tries to set himself up like there's a scene where She takes him out to that frozen lake Which she that she takes joel out to and he literally says like the exact same lines as joel says to her in this memory She shared as a good memory Mm -hmm. and she just doesn't care Like she doesn't respond to him. She he in some ways they're using each other like He's using her Like memories to be with her and she's using him as kind of just a presence because she's feeling lost and disconnected, mm-hmm. and she wants to have a body, I think close by um and so like they're using each other, but it's like it's not working like she doesn't desire him, you know she just desires she she wants company, but she wants specific company that she can't seem to find, and even this guy who's like doing all the same things as the other guy did that she loved, it's not panning out, and so I don't know. I mean, it's it's an interesting question. I, it's hard to say because we don't see the relationship really manifest physically between them. Mm -hmm. Um, but if, I don't know if he's tricking her into sleeping with him, then it's definitely abuse. It's a leveraging of power. I mean, I think that that's definitely what you could say. It's, it's an, it's an abusive partnership and that he is taking advantage of her without her knowing, you know, it would be akin to roofing somebody maybe, or, you know what I mean? Just like, but he's doing it emotionally, you know? Mm. So yeah, I wouldn't want that to happen to me. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and, and you know, the, 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 there's kind of the trope of the, the sensitive nice guy who's insecure and can't seem to get a date. Yeah. And I think he's is sort of trying, you know, presenting himself as that, but, there, yeah. but there's something kind of dishonest and slimy, even yeah. if, even if there's a part of you that wants to pity him because he's obviously yeah. a sad little insecure guy. I mean, yeah, and, you know, it's just not, it's not cool. It's not appropriate because he's, he's yeah. not, he's not treating her as a human being. He's seeing her as, as an end to, to some yeah. goal that he's trying to further for himself.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I just don't have a lot of patience for dishonesty in a relationship. You know, yeah. I rather have somebody to say what's hard and true. And I think that is ultimately kinder than like, you know, uh, just being dishonest with a partner. I just don't have a lot of patience for it anymore. I didn't yeah. really ever to begin with, but even more so now.
0: Yeah. 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 Got It makes sense. What, yeah. we, we're, we're, we're kind of at like the end of my notes and we're getting kind of near the hour mark and I don't want to keep you for longer than, uh, longer than it's necessary. I really appreciate you yeah. making the time to do this. Um, totally. are there, are there any things that you'd kind of want to wrap up with on
1: this? Yeah. I mean, I think just mostly I would like to say, because I am a musician, um, I think this is like, besides the Pride and Prejudice with, um, Karen Knightley, mm. um, this is, and I also really loved Interstellar. Um, this is one of my favorite scores of a movie of all time. And for other musician lovers, check out John Bryan. I think he's brilliant. I love the song that Beck wrote for the film. Um, change your heart. It's just so good. It's so good. Um, and there's a, there's a song on a soundtrack that we don't hear, in the version of the film, but it's on the song- soundtrack. And it's a song called Strings Attached to You. And John Bryan actually sings on the track, and there's lyrics. We hear the melody um, in different ways throughout the film with different instruments, but we never, we never really hear the sung version. And I think it's a, like the words are beautiful. And mm-hmm. I would just encourage anybody who loves music and loves scoring um, to check out the score. Because it's just, it's one of those scores. I have it in some of my playlists still. And when, when even when like those one called elephant parade, that's just like an acoustic guitar doing gung, 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 like that kind of repeated Mm -hmm. melody refrain. And I just, it immediately takes me somewhere, you know? And, uh, I just have so much respect for, for the soundtrack of this film. Um, and I think it's also one of the reasons in combination with Michelle Gondry's like whimsical, dreamy directing style and Charlie Kaufman's perfect script and wonderful performances by the actors, um, it's just a, it's all the right ingredients in the pot, you know, mm. working together to make it tasty.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's, it, I don't tend to talk about the score very much when, when we do these films, but then again, I'm not a musician, but yeah, but, yeah, but, but there's definitely those movies where the score kind of makes the film. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for making time to do this. And we've had Latifa yeah. Alatas here and, uh, uh, yeah, and and just real quick, best website or best way to push people to contact you again or find more uh, about you?
1: Yeah, I think if you want to go to latifaalatas.com, that will take you to like all my creative works, you know, Moda Spira, Page 6vi, Solo Me, Autumn Film, like records I've produced. It's all like hubbed there. Um, and then you can kind of like go down a meandering path of like, oh, you know, what's this project? So latifaalatas.com actually might be the best spot. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and, um, yeah, and I, I, we didn't mention uh, Solo Me, but that was, I think, kind of how I became more aware of you. And that, oh, really? That, okay. Yeah, and that's a worthwhile thing to, for people to check out in and
1: of yeah, itself. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool record. We worked together. I mean, I only worked with the guys for, like, four or five days, and it was really fun to be a part of. It's funny, I don't think of it as a band, because I just was really the voice on this record mm-hmm. that Derek wrote and Josh mixed and produced. Um, So I feel like I kind of came in last minute, and we never did any, like, Derek and I toured for a short season and we did one of the songs, um, but I just think of it more as like a record I got to be a voice on, and so I always feel like an imposter when I say it's like a band oh. I was part well, of.
0: <laughs> no, I mean your your voice in a lot of ways makes that record though, because I mean oh, it true. really is the emotional heart of it, and sort of is yeah. communicating what's going on. And and I love you know concept albums. So we're talking about the yeah. role of music and, and narrative in, in these it's films. Cool. Yeah, yeah, this this whole uh, machine intelligence that's sort of coming yeah. aw- coming awake is is a it's a it's a fantastic album. I've listened to it so many times. Yeah
1: it's a really worthwhile conversation too, man, you know? So it it was really brilliantly constructed. I will say that.
0: Awesome. So I recommend everybody check that out as well. And thank you so much for listening. (laughs) Have a good one. (laughs)